0: From a long-term perspective, I'm wildly bullish on Bitcoin. Right? Like, uh, I'm, I'm as bullish as it gets. I'm as obnoxious as it gets. I think it's going to go much, much, much higher than where than where it is today uh, over the coming years and decades. So, so for the most part, I think most people shouldn't worry about trading. You know, most people don't have the technical skills that Tone has, uh, and and he has a lot to learn. If that's something you're interested in, but for the most part, most people will do uh, the best. Uh, just by simply dollar cost averaging, right? Just buying little uh, bits of Bitcoin here and there as you're able to and holding on to it for as long as possible. I think you'll do really well.
1: What is up, Sats fans? Welcome to Swan Signal Live. I got another amazing episode with two great guests. <laughs> Can't wait to talk to them. But before we get started, I want to bring up Pacific Bitcoin. Um, We're almost a month away now, a little under a month away, actually, uh, to Pacific Bitcoin. That is the conference that Swan throws in beautiful Santa Monica. If you go right now to PacificBitcoin.com and use the promo code SIGNAL, Uh, you can get 21% off your tickets today. Uh, Just go check it out. Go check out Pacific Bitcoin. You'll find a bunch of satellite events, workshops. It's more like a festival feel, but also the guests are incredible. The speaker list is amazing. I mean, last year was one of the best years of all time in terms of the conferences that I've been to. So go check out PacificBitcoin.com today. And without further ado, let's get into the show. So I have... Dr. Jeff Ross, a recurring guest to Swan Signal Live, as well as Tone Bays, another recurring guest. And we're going to talk all things macro and find out where we are in this market. So welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to Swan Signal Live.
2: Thanks, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, Awesome to be back.
1: Yeah, man, it's good to see both of you guys. Uh, I recently saw, um, at least I saw Tone, I saw saw you at BitBlockBoom recently. I heard you uh, took some poker chips from people, which is usually the case. I usually hear that.
2: Yeah, man, that's the. I mean, people were anticipating. Uh, Gary asked me to like, hey, do you want to host poker? And I'm like, sure. So the first night of his conference, we're playing poker till six in the morning. Uh, We just (laughs) set up the table. Uh, I, you know, got a real table, set that up in the speaker area, the speaker lounge. And we were there playing till 6 a.m. And I was still there for, like, the opening speech at 9 a.m. Like, I had to, right? Because otherwise, Gary won't have me be going back there and host poker. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we were playing poker every night. Uh, man, might, do, might start doing that at other events. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I learned years ago that I, I don't sit at a poker table with you, Tone. I
2: just, I just I'm not it. that good. I didn't win much know, money. I wasn't the big winner.
1: I've heard a lot of chatter, a lot of people on the losing end. So, you know, I just don't subject myself to that kind of torture. But uh, also, Dr. Jeff, welcome.
0: Hey, thanks, Sam. Happy to be back. And sorry, I missed the uh, the poker tournament, Tone. One of these days, I'll I'll join you.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I always like to get your guys' opinions on the markets. Uh, You guys both follow it uh, closely. I know, you know, Jeff, you obviously manage money for your fund, Balshire. And then Tone, you've been following the markets so closely with your YouTube channel and you're a trader. Um, So I thought you two would be great to have on right now. Um, And so let's go to Dr. Jeff first, because you've been calling this a crab market uh, for a long time, it seems like now. And so maybe if people aren't familiar with that term, what do you mean by crab market?
0: Yeah, so um, so I look at I look at markets in three ways. I'm a simple guy, right? Uh, I'm just a doctor, so I'm not I'm not a pro like Tone and and you Sam. So so I look at three things. I look at bull markets and bear markets, and I think there's an in between market called a crab market. Mm-hmm. Crab market, just for people who don't know the term, it basically means choppy sideways price action. So neither overly bullish or overly bearish. Um, why am I crabby now and why have I been crabby? Uh, it's because of liquidity. I think liquidity is the lifeblood of markets. Um, it's, it's definitely the lifeblood of sound money uh, like gold and much more so like Bitcoin. Uh, they tend to follow uh, liquidity. So if liquidity is expanding, those two uh, tend to expand. And especially Bitcoin, it's like, uh, you know, liquidity on steroids and vice versa. When liquidity is being drained or contracting from the system, uh, it sucks the life out of Bitcoin. It sucks the life out of lots of risk assets as well. So when you look back at things and we can get into this uh, more in depth uh, if we want to, but, but net liquidity in the U.S., which is basically looking at the Fed's balance sheet and subtracting the Treasury General account, uh, and the overnight reverse repo market, that has been uh, trending sideways, choppy sideways since late April 2022, right? So if, wow. you know, quick math, we're talking like 17 months now of sideways liquidity. And if you wonder why the market is doing what it's doing, to me, I kind of say, look no further. There, there are other nuances and there are other assets that uh, react differently. Um, but that that's how I am. And so, so as long as liquidity in itself is trending sideways, and by the way, I think as long as interest rates are kind of chopping sideways and inflation is chopping sideways, which I think we're in a different regime now. I don't think we're in that disinflation regime anymore like we were when it went from 9 to 3%. I think choppy sideways is, is what uh, we should expect for many months now. Um, I don't expect anything different from risk assets. So will I'll stop there. But that's what I mean by crab market. Choppy sideways price action. And that's what we're in.
1: Yeah, it certainly felt that way in Bitcoin. I mean, it's been chopping up and down, up and down by 25 to 30, kind of for months now. And, um, you know, Tone, I know you're a trader, but how do you feel about what Dr. Jeff just said in terms of liquidity, in terms of the sideways price action, in terms of potentially the Fed keeping interest rates sideways, inflation going sideways? Like, how do you kind of navigate this uh, environment as a trader?
2: Yeah, also like how uh, Jeff just says, I'm just a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that, that was great. It's true. Like, <laughs> so it's something I'm not smart enough to do, but uh, uh, it's awesome. So look, I agree with Jeff. However, um, I have a YouTube channel that talks about the markets. And I've had this YouTube channel pretty much doing daily streams other than a day off here and there. So I, I can't really you know, talk about a crabby market for nine months, like I would have absolutely nobody watching my channel. So (laughs) even though I agree with Jeff, um, I have to, you know, be more bullish and more bearish more often. And uh, in which cases I go down to lower level timeframes, or I try to focus on other assets because I do try to focus on the entire market. The world is bigger than just Bitcoin. uh, And uh, lots of markets there uh, to talk about. So when it comes to Bitcoin, uh, yes, there I I just go to lower level timeframes. Like right now, uh, I was telling people to keep an eye on this week in particular, this week or next week, I anticipated a Bitcoin reversal. Uh, The reason for that is, is one of my indicators called MRI and MRI was calling it's a more of a time based indicator. So it was calling for this week to put in a potential low, and if not this week, Then early next week, so this like 10 day window of putting in a low in Bitcoin for a potential reversal, and uh, we rallied hard today. I'm not yet fully convinced that the low is in. I can still see us going lower to 23, 23 and a half thousand, and then rallying. Uh, But for someone like Jeff or for you guys at Swan, it doesn't matter if Bitcoin, if Bitcoin's low is 23,000 or 25,000, right? Because we're thinking of it in longer term aspects, like who cares if you bought it at 23 or 25, because we know it will eventually hit 100 if Bitcoin continues to be useful to the world. But for me, I do need to focus on 1000 intervals. And uh, I do think Bitcoin is getting ready for uh, a bit of a bounce.
1: Got it. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, you you kind of you kind of have to keep track on I I know you have a long uh, you know, time horizon as well and we all think kind of Bitcoin is an asset maybe long term that you'd want to have some allocation to, uh, especially if we think it's going to be more like inflationary environment, but You know, you have the Bitcoin price chart here, and I want to throw it up because you also have a a, a bunch of different indicators that you kind of look at. So I was wondering if we could kind of throw them up and you could talk through a little bit about what you look at uh, when you look at the charts and and Bitcoin.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. So uh, so a couple of things. First, I always like to say at the out, uh, the outset, especially during times where I'm either being crabby or uh, overly bearish, is that from a long term perspective, I'm wildly bullish on Bitcoin. Right. Like uh, I'm, I'm as bullish as it gets. I'm as obnoxious as it gets. I think it's going to go much, much, much higher. Than where than where it is today uh, over the coming years and decades. So so for the most part, I think most people shouldn't worry about trading. You know, most people don't have the technical skills that Tone has, uh, and and he has a lot to learn. If that's something you're interested in, but for the most part, most people will do uh, the best. Uh, just by simply dollar cost averaging, right? Just buying little uh, bits of Bitcoin here and there as you're able to and holding on to it for as long as possible. I think you'll do really well. So getting back to that chart, sorry, is that you yeah. had up? Um, so why, why did I put that chart? I, I'm a momentum guy, right? So Ton and I go back and forth on TA kind of stuff. But what I think helps me the most as a fund uh, manager and uh, investment advisor is I like momentum. And so what do I have on that chart? The top part of that chart shows the price of Bitcoin and it has some Bollinger Bands and then it has some moving averages. It has a 10 day, 50 day and 200 day moving average, which is that thicker red line. And so what I like to see is uh, for the 10 day and the 50 day to be sort of stacked on top of each other. So I like to see the price at the top and the 10 day uh, right below it and the 50 day below that and the 200 day below that. But what, what gets me starting to think bearish is when that all starts to reverse. And so right now, the reason I put that chart up there is because we just uh, a, a, a couple of weeks ago, the 10 day crossed below the 200 day moving average as, the, as well as the price uh, and the 50 day moving average just as of today is below the 200 day moving average. Um, to me, that's significant. That shows that there's an actual real bearish uh, momentum, both in the very short term and kind of the midterm as well just for uh, for people so they can get their bearings. The last time that happened, I, I included that on the chart to the left was back in January of 2022. At the same time, the liquidity was starting to roll over. And I think Bitcoin sniffed that out and it started to roll over as well. Uh, and as most people know, it didn't really recover until the beginning of this year uh, and fr- from a price uh, standpoint. So hopefully this is just a fluke, right? Hopefully that we regain momentum again, short-term momentum, uh, and we head back above the 200-day moving average at that point, you know I'll, I'll be I'll be feeling uh, much more bullish, at least in the near term. But until it does, uh, I'm I'm a little bit concerned about these momentum changes. And and uh, you know unless this is just a little short term fluke, which it always could be, uh, you never know. I just have no idea. Um, but it, I I say follow the trend. The trend is your friend. Uh, I said momentum never lies, but it but it doesn't tell you why. Uh, and so so I don't know why it's doing this necessarily. I think it has to do with liquidity. I think it has to do with the uh, economic metrics that just continue to look terrible uh, on multiple fronts uh for you know we can get into that too yep. um but bitcoin is telling us something and i say it's it, it's telling us that maybe we should be cautious from a short term perspective
1: yeah and you brought up like the difference in time horizons obviously you're, you're bullish long term and you should cut dollar cost average but we are talking more short term here and um it, it was interesting when it's trading below the 200-day moving average for a while because historically, if you're going to think about you know investing for the long term, that, that hasn't happened that much. And usually, when it happens, it's probably a good time to allocate for the long term. But you mentioned this like short-term, mid-term kind of bearish momentum, and you brought up the economic indicators. So I was wondering, you know, what do you mean by deterioration in these economic metrics specifically? Um, tone, if you're seeing similar things in terms of the economic metrics, or if you could kind of chime. In. let's first go to dr. Jeff what did you mean by that and then get a uh, tones reaction
0: Sure. So first of all, I think an overarching theme, I think, of most of this decade is going to be stagflation. So what I mean by that, a stagnant economy or economic growth mixed with uh, higher and more volatile inflation, especially than what we've been used to, right? We came from the decade of basically ZERP, zero interest rate policy, where interest rates were uh, very low or even negative, which is insane and, and mathematically bizarre. Uh, I don't think we're going to go back to that. I just think we're in a new, uh, um, a new secular trend now. And so Overall, my overarching theme for this decade has been and continues to be stagflation, uh, even though we'll have periods where, you know, that 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 can change. It depends what we're talking about, like from quarter to quarter, uh, it, it can be a little bit different. But what is happening, the, the economy uh, is, is hanging in there, right? Unemployment continues to remain low, although I think we may have seen kind of a low point and it, it's possible that that will start picking up now. Um, When you look at things like ISM manufacturing statistics, we've been in a manufacturing contraction here in the US for almost a year. Um, New orders uh, have been contractionary for a a full 12 months, and uh, manufacturing itself has been, I believe, 10 months straight. Um, We just pulled out of 25 straight months of real interest rate losses, meaning that people are getting poorer. So even if people's wages are rising, the cost of living has been rising faster. So people have been getting poorer, and we just broke a 25-month streak, which which I believe is the longest streak ever uh, in the United States, at least as long as as data goes back. Services continues to remain the bright point. It's just barely hanging on, barely um, uh, uh, expansionary. And that is what continues to pull the... or. Continues to keep the United States from falling flat out into a recession because we're such a strong services-based economy, about 70% services-based versus 30% manufacturing. That relatively, uh, it's mild, but it is strong and it is expansionary. That services number continues to keep the economy out of recession. I don't know if that's going to continue to hold. You know, I can't predict the future. Um, but I look at those kind of things and then I factor in the fact that we're having this credit crunch. Banks are uh, loaning less and less uh, credit card rates, Uh, usage rates are um, increasing, people are not paying off their credit card debt at a faster and faster rate. Almost all of those type of metrics from a credit perspective look terrible, and they look like they always do right before we head into a pretty serious recession. So when I look at all of those things and then I factor on top of that, the Fed is actually still putting on the brakes, right? They're still talking hawkish. They're still keeping interest rates high. They're still talking about inflation. They're still doing quantitative tightening, technically. All of that they're doing in the face of a slowing economy, to me, points that we're just going to head into a recession. I don't know the timing, but whether we like it or not, it, it just looks like a, a bread and butter Recession is coming our way.
1: Tone?
2: Yeah, no, that was uh, very well said by Dr. Jeff. I agree with the majority of that. Um, I think that we are gonna continue to have high inflation, but not crazy high. Uh, I don't think the Fed's gonna be able to get it down to two percent. I think it's gonna hover around three uh, percent. I think we're gonna have inflation between two and a half and three and a half percent for years to come. Now, as far as the interest rate goes, I think the Fed wants to get that interest rate up to 6%, and they're probably not going to go higher. Uh, they're going to say, look, our interest rate is already double the uh, inflation. We don't really want to raise it any higher because it could cause other problems in the economy. Uh, it just becomes the new normal. And if things start to go bad, then they would lower it from 6% down to 4 but they're going to keep it up fairly high. Now, as far as... The concept of a recession, I no longer know what that is. Uh, The United States should have been in a recession according to uh, how the government defined what a recession is uh, back in 2022. But they decided to change the metric to what is a recession. And now it's almost irrelevant to me whether it is or isn't a recession. I think that people are going to struggle I think people are going to have problems, the job market and wages, and people are going to have trouble paying their bills. They're going to take on more debts and there might be government programs to relieve them of their debts. And the government will not admit there's a recession. Right. Not the current government anyway. I think a lot is going to depend on what happens in the next election. Um, if the next election goes to a Republican, then the media is going to proclaim a recession, in 2024, and it could be a four-year recession, right? But if the next administration is the Democrat administration, which has the media in their pocket completely, then the word recession will never be stated. They will not admit that there is a recession. It's just gonna be like, oh, we're on the edge of a recession. Uh, However, whether there is a recession or isn't a recession, the question that, the only question that I care about is what will the markets do? What is gonna be the price of oil? What is gonna be the price of gold? What is gonna be the price of stocks? What is going to be the price of the U.S. dollar versus other fiat currencies? And for all of us, what is going to be the price of Bitcoin? Now, we all expect Bitcoin to rise uh, with the halving. I have a couple of charts that kind of show the timing that, like, this is the time where Bitcoin starts to enter a bull market based on where we are in the halving cycle. Now, what about the oil markets? Well, to me, uh, the oil markets are rising right now for several reasons. But one of those reasons is the current administration is buying into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve which would sound absolutely crazy because earlier this year they were selling from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, when the price of oil was even lower than it is now. So they're buying up more oil in order to probably dump it on the market next year uh, to help uh, their party get reelected. I I fully expect uh, the current administration to use the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, uh, not in the way it was meant to be, but for political reasons. So right now I am bullish on the price of oil I am going to be neutral on the price of oil next year during the election. Uh, But ultimately, I think the price of oil is going a lot higher. As the price of oil goes a lot higher, inflation will go higher uh, because it makes everything more expensive. Uh, Now, what could make the inflation CPI number go down? Well, the owner equivalent rent. Uh, The price of homes went very high. And now the interest rate on buying those homes is very high. I think that the price of buying a home is going to stagnate. Uh, I don't think it's going to go up much more because people are not willing to buy as many homes or as easily buy a home because the interest rate is now higher. So the price of the home would need to drop a little bit, but the amount of money a person is spending on that home is going to remain stagnant. In the meantime, the price people pay to rent has never gone down in history, and that price will only go up, which will make it a lot harder for the consumer. So while the consumer will feel like there's a recession going on, the government will never actually admit that there is a recession going on Unless it's, you know, uh, the Republicans are in office and then the media is admitting the recession is going on while the government will still say there's no recession going on. Uh, but it's not gonna feel good. Uh, as far as currencies go, I'm actually bullish on the US dollar and I'm bullish on the stock market as well. So I'm bullish on all these assets. I'm bullish on the US dollar because there just isn't any other currency that is better than the US dollar. I don't know if the BRICS are gonna come up with anything mutual backed by commodities. If they do, then that currency will certainly be better than the U.S. dollar. But I don't know if that's coming. Uh, If it does, then, yeah, I'll be bullish on that currency versus the dollar. Otherwise, I'm bullish on the dollar versus all other fiat. But I'm obviously bullish on Bitcoin as a currency aspect uh, versus the U.S. dollar. Uh, The only market that's left is stocks. And I am bullish on stocks on U.S. government debt. Uh, The biggest the the former biggest buyer of U.S. government debt was China. That's no longer happening. In fact, they're selling U.S. government debt. Uh, Interest rates going up. No one wants to buy government debt except internally, hedge funds, fund the funds. And people are going to be scared of buying U.S. government debt. Yes, they get a nice fat uh, five, six percent interest rate on that debt. But uh, it's scary because some of us including myself don't think the u.s government will be around in 10 20 years to pay back the principal and that debt. and it uh, the while the, i do think the u.s dollar is gonna strengthen over the next four to five years i think it's gonna enter hyperinflation eventually if we extend that timeline to you know 12 13 years uh, further out i'm not very confident that the u.s dollar will be that currency and by then bitcoin might actually be challenging the u.s dollar for the next world reserve currency or the currency everyone around the world wants to use. So um, that's how I think of the markets, not whether the economy is or isn't in a recession.
1: Calling for a uh, hyperinflation of the dollar in the next uh, 15 years. It's a bold statement tone. It's a bold statement. A lot of people think it's going to last uh, a lot longer than that, but uh, we'll see. This is, It's on the show now. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's permanent now that call, it could be legendary. I, I, uh, you know, you brought up the recession, which is interesting that the National Bureau of Economic Research defines it as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, hit that in 2022, and you, they did exactly what you said. They just said, no, 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 that's that's not the definition anymore. Um, but you also brought up real estate. And I, I'm wondering, you know, Dr. Jeff, if you have any thoughts around real estate, because with mortgage uh, rates spiking to almost 7.5%, just kind of skyrocketing the last couple of years. And then mortgage applications are going straight down. Um, A lot of people are looking at both the residential real estate market as well as the commercial real estate market, and they're just kind of seeing a lot of risk. And so what are you seeing in the real estate
0: yeah, definitely need to distinguish between the two, right? I think, it, yeah, there's a lot to talk about for, in terms of either residential real estate or commercial real estate. So starting with residential real estate, um, yeah, the market's been frozen. Uh, so because of rates so high, because the mortgage went up so high, basically what it, what's happened is uh, people don't want to sell their houses because what they don't want to do is sell a house and their mortgage that they locked in at about 3% or so uh, and buy a new house. Uh, much less of a house because they have a much higher 30-year fixed mortgage rate around seven and a half percent or so. So people don't want to put their houses on the market. And at the same time, buyers, uh, you know, they they look back two years and they look at the house they could have bought for, say, whatever, $500,000, uh, uh, which they maybe could have afforded when it was a three percent mortgage rate. And now it's just completely out of their league um, uh, with a seven and a half percent mortgage rate. So, so there's not a lot of buyers uh, there as well. So the buyers are kind of frozen. The sellers are frozen. And what's really interesting is uh, because of that gap where everything is just sort of frozen, um, home builders have been crushing it, right? Because there's no new supply coming onto the market. There still is a basically a generational shortage in residential housing. And so the home builders are just eating it up. Normally, they would be getting kind of hammered right now because they're typically very interest rate sensitive. Uh, so the fact that the 10 and the 30 year, 10, 20, 30 year uh, um, treasury yields have been rising uh, fairly substantially, they're right, like right now, the 10 is at 4.268, 30 years at uh, 4.345%. um, typically, that's not good for home builders because they're so rate sensitive. But because of that huge, you know, yawning uh, supply mismatch right now, they're filling in that gap. So home builders are crushing it. One of my favorite stocks, uh, you know, for my VailShare clients is a company called NVR, um, which they're, they're just a home builder with, with I think, very good uh, financial discipline uh, and uh, stock discipline uh, with their share buybacks they're just crushing it. I mean, they're in like one of the strongest bull markets I've ever seen. Um, so that's pretty interesting. And then uh, we can just flip over quickly to commercial real estate. So commercial real estate and regional banks are uh, closely tied together. Both are in a world of hurt right now, uh, as we as we all know, right? People have been re- uh, removing their deposits from these smaller regional banks. So they're losing their deposit base. And at the same time, they have tons of loans out to commercial real estate, uh, you know, developers and investors. Um, they're hurting, you know, vacancy rates are going higher, uh, and which which means that there's less and less people available uh, to pay their, their bills. These commercial real estate loans also are typically much shorter. They're kind of in the three to five year uh, timeframe, and a lot of the, these are getting rolled over right now. So they're rolling over from these very low interest rates to now much higher, 7, 8, 9, 10% rates. Um, a lot of them, they, they just don't have margin to do that. They can't, they can't make a profit and pay these higher rates. So we're going to see lots of these uh, companies, I think, go bust. Uh, Not surprisingly, the bank term funding program, which is that liquidity patch that the Fed uh, developed to help save regional banks, has continued to get used uh, copiously. uh, Mm. And and it's it's well over a billion dollars and heading higher. Uh, and then on top of that I th- they're, they're starting to toss around the idea I think of basically doing mortgage-backed securities but commercial mortgage-backed securities mm-hmm. and and basically start who wants to buy this junky you know commercial real estate debt now uh, to help basically ease the sector a little bit so th- that's a story that's coming up I think over the next couple of quarters which basically shows to me these are the beginning signs that there is serious trouble in both of those uh, industries are they the things that will really push us over and push us into a deep recession and cause the floor to drop out under risk assets? Maybe. Uh, To me, that's the best candidate uh, at the moment, but I don't really know. It's not as severe as a subprime mortgage crisis, but it is definitely severe. Uh, And uh, I think the story is not even close to being over yet, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, you bring up a good point that a lot of people in the United States you know, locked in 30-year mortgages at really fixed rates, very low rates. And so they're not really affected by the Fed jacking interest rates up. And you see that in the corporate debt markets as well. I saw a stat that uh, 50% of S&P 500 company debt doesn't mature until 2030. And so they have a lot of runway. And um, now the one that doesn't is, seems to be the U.S. government where 31% of their debt, or $7.6 trillion, will set to mature over the next year. So it has to be refinanced at much higher rates, higher borrowing costs for our own government. And you got the Fed, who sees inflation, and they're like, we have to keep raising rates. But are they actually in control? Because you have the fiscal side just spending, and you have the price of oil kind of ripping, and you have them raising interest rates, but it doesn't really affect a lot of the different parts of the economy. And so do you guys think the Fed is actually in control over the inflation picture? Um, Or are they just kind of like pulling a dead lever over and over again, hoping that it kind of has the effects that they want? Kind of throw it to either one.
0: I'll give a one word answer, then ship it over to uh, Tone. No, that's my (laughs) answer.
2: But Tone, Tone, let's hear hear what you have to say. Right. My answer is also no, but I will elaborate. Um, So not only is the answer no, the Fed has never been in control of inflation. Uh, The Fed doesn't have control over inflation. The Fed doesn't have control over unemployment either, which is insane. And uh, a few years ago, uh, the government wanted to add uh, another, an additional mandate to the Fed. And you can look this up. I'm not making it up. Uh, besides their mandate on full employment and interest rates, they wanted to add a climate change mandate so that the Fed is also mm-hmm. responsible for you know solving the climate change problem. Uh, so the Fed is not in control on any of these things. Uh, so the original design of the Fed was very, very simple and straightforward. And I will actually argue that it was somewhat like, not bad, it's not conspiratorial, even though they needed some conspiracies to get it to launch. Uh, The purpose of the Fed was, if there is a monster panic in the United States that is uh, destroying sectors of the economy, the Fed has the ability to print money and lend this money to bail out key industries. Now, the Fed has never actually done this until 2008. 2008 was the first time they did it, and it wasn't the bank bailout. It was the automobile bailout. All three American automobile companies were set to go bankrupt, and no auto industry would have existed in the U.S. The Fed provided them the liquidity to keep their companies open, and as these companies you know, bounce back and become profitable, which is a risk, uh, they pay back that money, uh, and uh, this way the Fed will pay back you know, the banks and other investors in the Fed. Now, that was the original purpose of the Fed to exist, and I can argue that it's, uh, that, that it's reasonable for it to exist that way. Now, the U.S. government has basically taken over the Fed starting in World War I, a few years after the Fed was created, and they gave it this mandate to buy government bonds and somehow control the interest rate and all this other insanity so no the fed is a follower the free market determines what the interest rate is and then the fed follows so when the interest rate on the street starts to rise the fed raises the fed funds rate and then when you know problems happen in the economy and uh, the fed needs to uh add liquidity they then lower the interest rate after the free market has already decided that the interest rate needs to be lower uh, so the Fed's a follower. It's not a leader.
1: I tend to agree. Um, but, you know, when the Fed did raise uh, hikes at probably one of the fastest paces in its history, it did, uh, you know, take the punch bowl away. It made borrowing costs uh, more expensive, especially for these highly leveraged companies. And a lot of them were in the broader crypto space. <laughs> so right. blow ups happening all over the place. And uh, today, actually, SEC Chair Gary Gensler was quoted as saying crypto is full of fraud, abuse, and misconduct. And Tone, you know, I've seen you on camera debating uh, Richard Hart and calling out Alex Mashinsky. And so I wanted to get your takes about what we've seen in the bear market because to me it's been pretty vicious for any kind of bad actor. I mean, it's been like a bleach just kind of cleaning out all these people uh, from the industry who didn't act, uh, you know, with with good ethics essentially and right. so i wanted to get your opinion on this bear market about what we've seen about what we're hearing from gary gensler now um what are your thoughts
2: so i know a lot of people don't like gary gensler i actually like gary gensler uh the reason why i like gary gensler is because i think of every single government employee anyone that gets paid uh through the government. He's probably the most knowledgeable person when it comes to Bitcoin, crypto, the crypto ecosystem. Now, you may disagree with what he does with that knowledge, but there is no denying that Gary Gensler is the most knowledgeable government official on Bitcoin, shitcoins, all things crypto. And uh, I don't think he wants to launch that ETF for Bitcoin. And he has borderline legitimate reasons for doing so. And, um, yeah, and all this stuff blows up. Uh, I've been, when I was doing, I don't know, did you catch my presentation at BitBlockBoom? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. one thing I forgot to mention because I ran out of time is why do we see so many, like, scammy blowups at the top of the bull run and at the bottom of the bear market? And the only conclusion I have for that is when the bull market is coming to an end and people have gotten a lot wealthier, They start to pull money out of some of their investments in order to buy cool shit that they want to finally afford. And that's what a lot of these Ponzi schemes can't afford to give them their money. And like things like BitConnect blow up at the very top of the market. Now, the same thing almost happens at the bottom of a bear market, but for opposite reasons. When the market has been going down for so long and you've been struggling because, you know, your crypto investments aren't doing so good, Eventually, you need additional liquidity to buy things because you have no choice. You can't wait anymore. So you're like, man, you know, I don't mind holding uh, my money at like FTX or uh, Celsius, but you know, I got to buy a new refrigerator. It broke. And uh, people start pulling their money out because they just don't have any other places they can pull it from. And that's when these scams also get exposed at the bottoms of the bear market because they can't meet. The organic demand of people wanting additional money that they thought they had because now they have to make ends meet at the end of a bear market and that's how these things tend to play out
1: yeah yeah and you mentioned gary gensler i mean one of the main reasons why the sec has rejected a spot bitcoin etf over the years was fears of market manipulation fraud um, a lot of the volumes being in these unregulated offshore exchanges and uh, certainly we've seen some of that get cleaned up over the last uh, years with FTX blowing up and yada, yada, yada. Um, but now you have the big boys coming in like BlackRock. And today we had Franklin Templeton uh, file a Spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, they have $1.5 trillion of assets under management. And um, what do you guys think around this Spot Bitcoin ETF? You know, to me, it's been a rumor for so long. It's right around the corner. They're going to approve one. It's going to cause all this increased demand. But I look at today, and it feels different. It feels like you have these big dogs that are applying. Um, it seems like there's a lot of optimism that one is going to get approved soon. And to me, the price isn't really reflecting that that probability. Uh, to me, it's increased probability, and the price is kind of just kind of floating around, shopping sideways. So, Dr. Jeff, what do you what do you what's your take on the spot Bitcoin ETF applications that we've seen and and the price action kind of surrounding it?
0: Yeah, again, not to be this guy that just keeps saying the same thing, but uh, I just think it's the liquidity, right? So the liquidity is sucking the oxygen out of the room. So I think that's what's Hmm. holding down the price. Also, Global M2 has just been trending down since the first quarter. Um, so it's hard for Bitcoin. Basically, what what the way I look at that is that sets the tone for the vector of the response. So so it, it'll tell you how how hard it's going to go in what direction. And it'll tell you which direction it's going to go uh, based on where liquidity is flowing. So b- just the fact that you know liquidity and m- global m two are kind of heading sort of down sideways to down tells me that even with this this sort of good news behind the scenes with these possible spot Bitcoin ETFs, um, that they, they're just having a hard time reacting uh, positively to it. We saw that little boost when, when BlackRock came on and, you know, it jumped up to 30K, and, but then it's fizzled since then. I just think, you know, um, that that's – well, let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. I think it's inevitable that these spot Bitcoin uh, ETFs do get approved probably within, uh, you know, the next year. Like I would say 90 to 95 percent certainty within a year they'll be approved. Will they get approved this year? I don't know. Coin flip. It could be. We could get a good announcement in October. If I will say if that is something that causes the price of Bitcoin to spike, Uh, In the near term, I would think that it's probably going to go up uh, too far too fast in the setting of the stuff we talked about earlier besides liquidity, you know, the slowing uh, economic engine uh, inflation uh, still being persnickety. Uh, and then the Fed, on top of that, continuing its its hawkish stance. Um, I just don't think the conditions are favorable at all for a Bitcoin bull run right now. I think everything in my mind is setting up for the second half of 2024. So basically, as we head into the uh, halving and then after that, I think all the pieces at that point should be in place. I think we hopefully by then are ha- would have gotten into and through the worst of the recession. And I think that the central banks will have gone from being hawkish to being uh, you know dovish at that point and fully supporting the market at that point. So I think liquidity will be flowing again. Um, uh, The economy will have bottomed and is starting to grind higher, even though lots of people still don't trust it or believe it. And to me, that's setting the stage for now we have the infrastructure in place. Now we have these huge players in place with the Black Rocks and Fidelities and whatnot. Uh, And that's setting the stage for a pretty exciting late 2024
2: and most of 2025. Hmm.
1: Tom, what do you think?
2: I'd love to comment on this. Uh, Jeff, I agree with you. I think the real bulk of the bull market will start in the second half of 24. Uh, So we agree there. Uh, Now, when Gary Gensler says that the main reason why Bitcoin ETF is not being launched is the manipulation on uh, they don't have full control of the price mechanism and price discovery, I think that's an excuse. I don't believe him. Uh, So there are, I think, two reasons uh, that why they don't want to do it. One and i'm not going to dive deep into this one because it's obvious custody uh, custody is not easy uh, custody of bitcoin and uh as everyone's learning you guys at swan i mean you guys know how challenging custody is and uh custody is probably a concern that they don't talk about but the real reason i think and this is where i go back to what i said about gary gensler he does not want a shitcoin etf on his watch not ethereum not doge not uh, hex ETFs, because he knows the moment he approves a Bitcoin ETF, a thousand ETF applications are coming in for every shitcoin. It's a thousand times 10, right? Because there's 10 companies that want to launch an ETF. And each one of them is going to try to launch a shitcoin ETF. And he's not going to let that happen. Uh, we already have an Ethereum CME future, which I'm sure she's very angry about. When he approved uh, Barry Silber's GBTC, Here comes the Ethereum version and the Ripple version and all the other scam coins known to man. They already had to cancel the Ripple one. They may bring it back because the SEC incompetently screwed up the Ripple case. Now, had the SEC won the Ripple case on all three counts and they would have been able to use that precedent to go after Ethereum, they would have made it clear that everything other than Bitcoin is a security. And then they can easily approve the Bitcoin ETF because then they would have a reason to shut down the other ETFs. But uh, this is why Gary Gensler will not allow a Bitcoin ETF. Gary Gensler would have to be replaced. He might be replaced by someone from BlackRock and that person will launch a Bitcoin ETF and then probably allow the shitcoin ETFs. But if this is happening in 2025, then all of them might be imploding by now so that you know, free market could actually do its thing. So i think that's the main reason why the etf has not been happening and it isn't coming uh, so that's kind of uh my view on it and uh one more thing to add he's learning this right now they allowed coinbase to go public uh sec made it clear that yes we're letting them go public but we're not vouching for their underlying business coinbase's underlying business became promoting scam tokens and now the sec wants them to shut down scam coin trading And the SEC and everyone is saying, well, if they were trading scams, why did the SEC let Coinbase go public? Right. This imagine this discussion, but times 10 in the world of ETFs. There's no way Gary Gensler will allow a Bitcoin ETF for those reasons. And he will use every excuse he can, including the dog ate my homework and I'm feeling sick. I can't make it to the meeting. Uh, That's kind of my view on the ETF being approved.
1: Yeah, you make some good points. I mean, I feel like uh, Bitcoin's, a spot Bitcoin ETF approval would, would kind of be a sign of uh, approval from the regulators in a way that they're like, okay, this thing's here to stay. Um, it would almost be, a, you know, in terms of the market maturing over the last few years. And it, it leads to me to think, like, everyone brings up Bitcoin as a risk asset. And Dr. Jeff, you say liquidity drives risk assets, But I think everyone on this call kind of views Bitcoin as actually a pretty conservative long-term investment for a lot of different reasons. And do you guys think under what kind of circumstances will Bitcoin start to to kind of uh, diverge from other risk assets if that's going to be like this next bull market, if you think that's kind of a long way down the road? Like, how do you see that playing out? I'll throw it to Dr. Jeff.
0: Yeah, so you know, I think all three of us would view Bitcoin. At, at, well, maybe I'm. I do not want to put words in your guys' mouth, but I, I think of it as the safest asset, basically known to man. We we know the monetary policy of, of Bitcoin all the way to, until 2140 and beyond, right? We we everything there is to know about Bitcoin is just kind of out there in the open because it's open source. The only thing that we don't know is how the price action is going to respond here or there. We know in the long run the price appreciates because that's what the monetary policy uh, of scarcity uh, does over time, as long as it's desirable and I, I believe that as more and more people understand what bitcoin is it will become increasingly desirable uh and therefore that will be reflected in the price so it is not a risk asset i don't view that at all uh, um, in that way but you know the, the market is a long way a uh, long way behind where we are because we've been studying bitcoin for for many many years obviously so i i think probably it, it's unlikely to be seen uh um, any better than a risk asset uh, until a couple things happen. The first milestone, I think it needs to overtake the market cap of gold. So I think we need to uh, see Bitcoin sort of in the 10 to 15 trillion dollar kind of market cap size. I think at that point, uh, the 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 analogy of it being digital gold will have played its role uh, and lots of people will see it as such. And they'll start to see it as kind of a safe haven asset. Uh, but still with that speculative up, uh, upside, I think once it gets to be that big, uh, the narrative will change again. And then we'll start talking about Bitcoin being uh, a worthy candidate for Excuse me, for uh, the world's currency. So, to Tone's point, I think that, you know, 10 to 15 years from now, we'll be talking about a completely different world order, I- including in terms of currencies. Uh, I think at that point, there'll be basically three main contenders left. There'll be the U.S. dollar, although it will be less powerful. Um, I think the BRICS nation is uh, that the conglomerate. I think it's starting out weak and, the, and um, you know, they have lots of stuff to work through. I think the desire to get off of the dollar standard is hugely important to lots and lots of countries. And I think that coalition will build. Uh, So I think of that block currency, whatever they come up with will be sort of the second option. And then I think Bitcoin is the third option. So I think once we get to that point, the narrative will change. Instead of just being digital gold, it will be like, look, this is just better money uh, for a better world. And it's a people's money that's not controlled by any, any government. It's completely apolitical and decentralized and secure. And I think those selling points will be enough to really propel it into the world's kind of main stage. I think when we get to that point, that's when we start talking about Bitcoin as a risk risk off asset I think nobody will really view it like a tech stock anymore you know everybody views it like like it's just another crypto or it's a tech stock and that's fine uh because we're in the price discovery stage but you know 10 to 15 years from now I think that's when the narrative changes and I think that's when it it turns into officially a risk off asset to the world
2: Um, yeah happy to add to that and uh no Jeff I completely agree with everything you said uh but in that scenario 15 years from now uh, if the BRICS put together a, you know, a currency that is backed by some commodities and uh, also Bitcoin, two of these are on the rise. And one of the one of the three is on the decline and the U.S. dollar is on the decline. Uh, so that goes with my uh, hyperinflation situation, which is a political event. Uh, hyperinflation does, is not uh, the result of money printing. Uh, money printing is the result of loss of confidence in the currency due to political events. And uh, I think those will be coming into the U- into here in the U.S. Uh, you know, in about five to seven years. Uh, but going back to the actual question, uh, Bitcoin being a safe haven asset, I agree. It is the safest asset. It's one of the more volatile assets, uh, but it's certainly the safest one because it's the one asset. When I go to sleep and I close my eyes, that's the one asset I am confident will be in my possession when I wake up. I am not confident about anything else I own. Whether it's my house, whether it's the dollars in the bank account, whether it's the gold in my safe, I can wake up in the morning and I can find all of those things in the hands of someone with a nice big gun uh, taking it away from me. But not Bitcoin, because that one I can store in my head. And that one is a a lot harder, hence the big sign behind me called unconfiscatable. And uh, so having said that, uh, people will start to realize that uh, in the near future and also i think that uh bitcoin will remain correlated with the stock market for a long long time this is also why i'm kind of bullish on the stock market itself uh because companies are going to be holding bitcoin on their books uh they're going to hold uh sorry uh they're going to hold bitcoin we have, right now we have microstrategy square sometimes tesla but in the future it's going to be almost every company so Bitcoin is going to take on massive correlation with the stock market, because right now, if you look at the stock of Square, it's going down. But if Bitcoin suddenly doubles in price, what happens to Square stock? It's going to go up. Uh, all of these Bitcoin mining stocks, they're going to go up. Not because they're mining, not only because they're mining Bitcoin, but because they hold Bitcoin on their books. And more uh, companies are going to want to hold Bitcoin on their books. So it will remain a risk on asset for a while. Um, I think of assets as private assets and public assets, and both stocks and Bitcoin are private assets. It's an investment in the private industry or in a, something private. And government bonds are an example of public assets. And I think public assets are in trouble the rest of the decade, while uh, private assets still have a bright future.
1: Yeah, Block, uh, I think Block has over 8,000 Bitcoin on its balance sheet. And um, because of these accounting rules... They had to basically mark an impairment loss of over $140 million. But now if FASB passed those new rules. It's going to make it a lot easier for corporations and less costly for corporations to own Bitcoin. So that'll certainly kind of fit in with your narrative uh, tone. And it kind of fits into your narrative, uh, Dr. Jeff, where it's like these developments that kind of they're boring kind of during the bear market, but they kind of set the foundation for the next bull market. And um I think that's enough time for us today, guys. You know, I I love talking to you guys and do it all the time. But um, it was a pleasure today. I want to just throw it to you guys in case listeners aren't familiar with your work. Where can they find you? Where where, Where can they read some of your stuff? Dr. Jeff.
0: Sure. So um, I'm on Twitter a lot. My handle is at VailShire Cap. Uh, I also, you know, as you know, uh, run a hedge fund and investment advisory. I manage the uh, portfolios personally. So if you want to learn more about that, you could check out Velshire.com. You can shoot me an email uh, directly at info at VailShire.com uh, and I'll get back to you if you're interested. So thanks for having me on the show today, uh, Sam and Tony. It was great to be with you.
1: Always a pleasure. Tony.
2: Uh, Yeah, unlike Dr. Jeff, I don't manage other people's money. I find it challenging enough to manage my own money. Uh, But I do try to educate people on how they can manage their own money. I do this for free on the Tonebase YouTube channel, soon to transition these videos to the Financial Summit uh, YouTube channel and the Financial Summit brand, uh, which is an event uh, geared towards traders, uh, money managers, hedge fund managers, VCs, uh, to get together for a five-day retreat the next one is coming up in dubai in november um, i also organize a bitcoin only event it's always in las vegas uh, this year it's going to be in december uh, it's called Unconfiscatable, uh, where we talk all things bitcoin and you'll find me at pacific bitcoin as a speaker as well uh really looking forward to going there um, so all three of those Twitter handles and Instagram pages: uh, ToneVase, Unconfiscatable, and Financial Sun.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll also be at Unconfiscatable again this year. So it's it's a fun conference. So check it out, and uh, I hope to see maybe you guys both at Pacific Bitcoin. I don't know if Dr. Jeff, you're going to make it, but I hope you're going to be there, my friend. And uh, thanks for coming on Swan Signal Live. Uh, you guys are welcome anytime. Always love your and appreciate your insights. So you guys have a wonderful day. Okay.
0: Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam.
1: And speaking of Pacific Bitcoin, you can go to Pacific Bitcoin right now and type in code SIGNAL for 21% off. Uh, Great conference. Meet people, meet Bitcoiners. Go listen to your favorite speakers. You can shake their hands, get to know them a little bit. Go see workshops um, and go to some of the parties. It's an excellent event. So go to PacificBitcoin.com. I can't Uh, tell you how much I appreciate you guys supporting the show, Swan Signal Live. Like, subscribe, comment. Let me know what guests you guys want to see. Any way that I can improve the show. I want to give you guys what you guys need. Uh, So thank you and uh, go to swan.com for all of our educational resources, specifically Swan Signal, the blog. Thank you.